and welcome back to the podcast Discipleship in Challenging Times. My name is Peter Morden and I'm Senior Pastor, Team Leader at the wonderful Cornerstone Baptist Church in Leeds. Today we are recording episode 250. I like to occasionally say when we've reached a landmark, and I guess 250 is a landmark, Ed Borat is sitting across from me and he's still going and I'm still going just. And the aim is to do a year of reflections because we don't do Sundays. It won't be 365, but it will be a set of reflections to take us through a whole year, six days a week. And then we're going to stop because I think I will have exhausted the things that I can say and I'll just need to pause and reflect. Nevertheless, that's the journey that we're on, God willing. Thank you for being on this journey with me. We are reading today from Ruth chapter 1. We did that a few days ago, but I'm going to do that again. And actually, this begins a series where we're going through the book of Ruth one chapter at a time. Let's pause and ask for God's help in prayer. Yes, Lord, thank you that you've been on this journey with us by the power of the Spirit. Thank you that your word is so powerful. It's like a sharp, double-edged sword penetrating deeply into our lives in grace and mercy and challenge and transformation. Lord, for this next leg of the journey, we pray that once again you would speak to us through your word. We lift ourselves to you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ruth chapter 1, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home, May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. 
Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women explained, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she said. Call me Mara, because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Well, one of the things I've been doing recently on Friday mornings when I've not been doing podcast recording is going over to our Crag Hill site. And when we have been allowed in the pandemic, we have had Friday prayers, maybe a short reflective prayer service. We've been meeting outside and just chatting in a socially distanced, COVID-secure way. One of the people who come, one of the ladies, uh, keeps on trying to get me to take her old Mills and Boone novels and says, you know, you'll, you'll really enjoy these. Would you like to read one of them? It's not really my thing. And um, if she's listening to this, she will learn for the first time that um, much as I think she's wonderful, I'm unlikely to receive these books and unlikely to read them. When we come to the book of Ruth, it can seem a little bit like a Mills and Boone novel. It's a, a romance, and in a sense, it is that. And romantic love is part of what makes the world go round, and 
within the wonderful biblical framework that God gives us, it's a, a wonderful thing. And in a sense, that is affirmed through the book of Ruth. But there's much more that's going on here. We saw already in a previous reflection, Ruth, Ruth's expression of commitment, not just to Naomi, but also to God. The wonderful little phrase, the image that Ruth clung to Naomi, we can take as a picture of how we should be with our God, clinging to him, even as he holds us and leads us forward. May we renew our commitment once again today. But just briefly, I want to focus somewhere else, and it is God's sovereignty. He is the sovereign Lord. I wonder what you felt and thought when you heard Naomi in verse 20 and verse 21, saying that she should be called Mara, bitter, because the Lord has brought me back empty because the Lord Almighty has made my life bitter, because the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. These are startling words, aren't they? Does God really do this? Is Naomi right when she says this? There are two answers that theologians and Bible commentators have given. First one is that Naomi is actually wrong to think of God in this way. It's not God who has done this. He's not sovereign. He's not in control of her suffering. I'm deeply aware that there are many people, there are people that I know who find that thought very comforting. Something terrible has happened to them, maybe a series of terrible things. And to think that God was not in control of this is some way a comfort and a strength. But I want to gently suggest that the second way of interpreting this is best, that it's most biblical, and actually, at the end of the day, it's most comforting. That God is sovereign over our suffering, and that Naomi is right to speak in the way that she does. It's not that God is the cause of our suffering. We live in a broken, hurting, bruised and fallen world. A world that has been bent out of shape, a world that is marred by sin and shame. And we are caught up in that and so we suffer. God is not the cause of that. God is not responsible for that. And yet we also think of God's permissive will. He is sovereign over all. And yes, in some way, Naomi is right. Her view quadrates with the rest of the scriptures. God has not lost control. He is sovereign even over our suffering. Two ways that I find that helpful. Firstly, if God is sovereign over suffering, then we know that he restrains suffering in our lives. He is powerful and he does this. I can speak of someone who has suffered bereavement, both the bereavement, the death of my first wife, and also the death of a child. 
What does it mean to think of God as sovereign over that? Well, one of the things is that God does restrain suffering in different ways. What other things might have happened if God had not been in control? Who knows what may have happened to us without God's restraining hand, without God's loving hand, without God's protection over us. And the second thing about this is that if God is sovereign over suffering, then he can work through it. And he does so. He is not to blame. He is not responsible for our suffering. But because he is still sovereign, so he can work. Romans 8.28 is the key text here. God in his grace and mercy, the God who reveals himself in Jesus, works all things for the good of those who love him, those who he has called according to his purpose. In an, and in our reading, the fact that they are arriving at the time the barley harvest is beginning in Bethlehem just introduces the next chapter and the fact that God is at work in his grace and mercy. God is not to blame for our suffering. God is not to blame for death and destruction and disease and brokenness. But in his grace and mercy, he still sits sovereign over the world, and he is working in his mercy to bring good out of suffering, to work with us, to pour his grace, his goodness, his mercy, his forgiveness, his love into our lives and take us forward. He is the sovereign God and as the sovereign Lord he is in control and he is working by his grace. Such is the case for Naomi and Ruth and in Jesus such is the case for us. We pray together. Lord, we especially lift before you today those who are suffering, those who are suffering injustice, those who are suffering the pain of bereavement and loss. Lord, for all such, maybe for many who are listening today, we pray for your blessing, your help, your strength. We pray that you would be walking alongside Lord, if life has become bitter, we pray that in your grace and mercy you would sweeten it again. And we not only pray for ourselves, but we pray also for those that we know and love who may be suffering and struggling today. May all such turn to you and receive your grace. And may they all know the truth of Romans 8.28 that you, Lord God, are able to work through all things in your goodness and your grace for those that you love, for those who follow your Son, the Lord Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.